Well, it's been a few weeks since uh, we started this series in 2 Peter. As we go to this New Testament book, we turned to 2 Peter a few weeks ago because it was a very good parallel to our study in Jude. And I don't remember how many messages in Jude, about six or seven or something like that. And, but yet, 2 Peter is a pretty good parallel to it and gives us a little more meat on the bones for our, uh, for our spiritual upbuilding, and you'll see that tonight. Tonight we come to a passage in 2 Peter where you're going to see sound instruction on investing in your faith, investing in your spiritual life. Now our last look at Jude was a good reminder of, of this, of this truth that we're going to see tonight. If you're to be guarded from false teaching, and that's what Jude was challenging us with and giving us this charge to guard yourselves and guard your families and guard your church from, un, uh, from unbelief and false teachers and false teaching. If you're going to be guarded from false teaching, you must invest in your spiritual life. Uh, for the believer in Jesus, uh, the spiritual life impacts all of life. Do you realize that? Uh, it's, it's easy for us to kind of get this idea of compartmentalization. We, we think of the spiritual life more on Sunday than maybe we do the rest of the week. But uh, I want to reverse that kind of thinking. I want you to think of the spiritual life every day of the week. And think of the Lord's Day as this opportunity to come to church and be edified. You know what that means? It means to be built up, to be encouraged to be strengthened in your faith so that the rest of the week you're, in, you're, you're thinking about your spiritual life and investing in it and building it up and growing it. And uh, this passage tonight should help us with this. Before we get to the passage we're going to look at tonight, let's begin with, since it's been a few weeks, let's begin with the first four verses that we looked at last time. I think it was about three weeks ago we were here. Second uh, Peter Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. These are the verses we looked at last time. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So that's the first four verses, 2 Peter chapter 1. God's Word is full of precious and very great promises. And we have the divine power of the Lord Jesus Christ who has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Isn't that incredible? No one can do this for us. No, no one can give us this. Only God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, with the Word, when you 
first submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Lordship in your life, that you submit yourself to Him and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. And then He grants us these precious and very great promises and then brings along with them His divine power to help us apply the truths of His Word in our lives. Now, let's look at verses 5-11. through 11. That's where we're going to be tonight, verses 5-11, through 11, where we're going to see that Peter not only gives the instruction here to keep growing your faith, but also shows you how your faith grows. And really, a growing faith is an ongoing process. It's something that we really never complete this side of heaven. That should not discourage us, though. It's, it's an ongoing process, and we should be thankful for this, that God is not stopping at any point saying, oh, you're, you're finished, or I can't take you any further. No, the Lord always has ways that we can grow. So let's look at 2 Peter 1 and then follow along with me, verses 5-11. through 11. For this very reason, what we just heard, verses 1-4, through 4, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have a feeling I'm going to be doing this a bit tonight. Do you see in verse 5 your responsibility? Look at verse 5 again. You see your responsibility? Make every effort to supplement your faith. Some translations use the word add to, the words add to, add to your faith, supplement your faith. It's clear there that your life of faith in Jesus cannot be passive and be healthy. I think that's clear there in another passage like this one. Your life of faith in Jesus cannot be passive and healthy. You might try sleeping with your Bible under your pillow, but if that's all you do to increase your spiritual health, what you may end up with is a stiff neck and nothing else. It says, make every effort. Here's what I I see here. It means be diligent, pay attention, and work. The life of faith is actually not one of passivity. It's actually one of work. Work, do you see what it says here? It does not say work to earn your salvation. You have that in Jesus Christ by faith and by faith alone. Because Jesus finished that work on the cross on your behalf. 
What, what we're being called to is to work at growing. Work at growing up. Grow your faith. It is true that God gives you all that's necessary for life and godliness, as you heard in verse 3. But once you've received God's gift, it's your turn to put some effort into this relationship with Jesus. So put, put some effort into applying those gifts, knowing that you have, also, you have the Spirit's help. So it's not all your strength, and it's not all you. And a lot of times, it's actually more the Spirit than it is you. I see some of you nodding your heads. You know this too, right? A lot of times, it's more the Spirit than you, but it, there's still, it means you still need to show up. Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith. And the idea is, is that of fully applying yourself to growing in Christ Jesus. Don't be passive about your spiritual life. Keep growing as a believer. Spiritual growth is a continual process and only achieved deliberately. Now, does this mean that you will never be discouraged? <laughs> no, no. You may often be discouraged because you're not growing as much as you think you should or because you fail or you sin. You get sidetracked and you don't go as far as you... I can't, can't tell you how many times I've looked back on my younger years sitting under my father's own, his preaching, and thinking, how come I wasn't paying attention back then? How come I wasn't taking notes? How come I wasn't serious about my faith? You have uh, regrets like that too, probably, of different areas of your life. You may get discouraged with your progress at times, but don't stop making every effort to supplement your faith. None of us are finished products this side of heaven. He's still working on me, right? That song, you ever seen it? To make me what I ought to be. He's not done with you yet. And he's, you know what? God's okay with not being done with you yet. You ought to be okay with not being finished yet. But it doesn't mean you can, you know, kind of set cruise control at idle and take it easy. God's word is good to, to challenge us to work, to grow in Christ's likeness. So Peter has shown you your responsibility. Peter points next to this. He, he's pointing next to with what you are to supplement your faith. These are the resources you have for adding to and growing your faith. The resources are seen in verses 5 through 7. Just note that these graces, uh, the scriptures here call them qualities, and I'll call them spiritual graces, and I think that's what they are, which you're to supplement your faith with, they aren't like a checklist. So, so uh, I, wouldn't, I would encourage you not to kind of like put these in a checklist like you do your grocery shopping or your to-do list where you hope to mark them off and be done with them. This is not that. <clears throat> These spiritual graces that you're to supplement your faith with are not like one and done tasks. They're actually kind of an ongoing and repeating process. 
One grace builds on the other, and then the cycle continues. One grace keeps building on the other. The starting point, though, for your faith is this, your faith in Jesus Christ. This is where we all start. We must start with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, is the very first step. And that's where your life of faith begins. And in verse 5, Peter says, supplement your faith. That faith that began in Jesus Christ, that little seed of faith that you took a step and said, okay, I realize I'm a sinner and I realize that Jesus is the Savior and I believe in Him. That was just the very first step of faith. That faith needs to keep growing. And that's what Peter's talking about here. The starting point of your faith is Jesus Christ, and that's where your life of faith begins. And in verse 5, Peter says, supplement your faith with this. Do you see it? He says, supplement your faith with virtue. right there in verse 5. Supplement your faith with virtue. What's virtue? Now, I know that we could all you know, kind of give a, a definition of virtue, but what's Peter getting at here? And I think what he's getting at, is, this is really the idea of moral excellence. <coughs> moral excellence. That's the idea of the Christian fulfilling God's, their God-given responsibility. You know, you, your responsibility, God-given, and my responsibility, God-given, and we see it in God's Word, this side of heaven is to walk by faith and not by sight and to glorify God in all that we say and do, to love one another, to love God, to love people. And all of that points back to a simple word, obey. God's Word reveals all that, all those things that we should obey. And they really kind of boil down to those kinds of high points. This moral excellence for the Christian is the idea of fulfilling your God-given responsibility. And when a believer shows Christ's likeness, he's showing virtue. Christ's likeness is, is this idea here, virtue. And then Peter says to also supplement virtue with knowledge. And in fact, if you're going to be Christ-like, you need knowledge. Supplement your faith with virtue, moral excellence, and then, and that helps you, helps get you pointed in the right direction, which is God's Word, and with God's Word. This kind of knowledge is not general, it's actually specific, it's not like, get knowledge, like go to the library kind of knowledge, no. Um, although going to the library is fine. You had better go to the book, the book, the Bible, for wisdom. You need biblical wisdom. Because the Bible, again, like no other book, you've heard it before, I'll say it again and again and again and again, is like no other book. When you humble yourself before the Bible, God promises to do something supernatural and miraculous with it, helping you change your mind. I mean, change the sin, the, the sin nature to the Christ-like and godly nature that he has given you in Christ. To, to say no to sin and say yes to righteousness. Moral excellence. 
supplement your faith with virtue, this moral excellence, and that helps you add knowledge. And that kind of knowledge is not general, it's specific. And this is having a solid understanding of biblical truth. And really, the only way to get a solid understanding of biblical truth is to be a person who reads the Bible and doesn't just stop when you're done with the first time through, but keeps reading the Bible and keeps reading the Bible repeatedly. I've said it lately, and I, and I think this is a helpful way to think about Bible reading, is, is devoting yourself to being a lifelong Bible reader and not saying, I just want to read through the Bible in 2022. By the way, if you want to do that, there are Bible reading plans. That's fine, and that's good. And that's why I put Bible reading plans out for you for the next year. Reading through the Bible in a year is great. But what I really want to hear you say and devote yourself to is, I'm devoted to reading the Bible for the rest of my life. You're going to need it for the rest of your life. So you need biblical truth. You need a solid understanding of biblical truth. And you need to discover what the Word says. And you need to devote yourself to applying that knowledge. It's one thing to have a lot of facts and figures and be able to recite things from the Bible. It's even wonderful to be able to memorize passages of Scripture and recite them. But you cannot stop there. That's only the beginning. You must see the Word as something that should change you and must change you. And you, and you look at the Word with, with this idea, not, not, for, not first for how it's good to change your spouse or your children or your boss, but first for how it's good to change you. And that's also part of that virtue or moral excellence. Being, one, uh, being a person who is willing to be changed by God's word. And God loves to answer those kinds of prayers. When you come to the word and you open your Bible and you humbly say, God, I want to know what you have for me. I want to understand your word better. I want to obey you. Help me, strengthen me with your truth. God loves to answer that prayer. Next, Peter says in verse 6 to supplement knowledge with self-control. Self-control. How many of you wish that wasn't here? Self-control. Why did you have to go there, Peter? Self-control. Guess why? Guess why Peter went there? The Spirit made him do it. How about that? Self-control. He humbled himself before God as God moved through him, inspired him to write these words for us. The Spirit made him do it. These words are God's words, not Peter's words as much as these are God's words to us. So yes, supplement knowledge with self-control. In fact, true knowledge, going back to this idea of humbly submitting yourself to God and His Word, will result in self-control. It will be, oh, I don't want to dishonor God. I want to honor Him. I want to obey His Word. You see, God's people are to be learning self-control. Uh, Proverbs 16.32 emphasizes the importance of this. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger, also known as self-control, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, also known as self-control, he who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city. You want to be like a strong man who takes a city, and I'm not talking about physically being like a strong man, but, but we're making comparisons here, as the Bible does. You want to be mighty for the Lord? You want to be mighty in your spiritual life? Get serious about adding self-control to your knowledge. This is called, again, obedience. 
God's people are to be learning self-control. Your desires, your appetites should not control you. With the Spirit's help, with the Word of God, you're, you're to be learning to control them. With God's help, you're to be learning self-control. Self-control is what you must exercise when faced with temptation to sin. Then still in verse 6, look at verse 6 again. Peter says to supplement self-control with steadfastness. Now, what what are we talking about here? Steadfastness. What's that mean, Peter? Uh, Steadfastness might be better understood as, here's another word, patience. Who, Who thinks they need more patience? (laughs) <laughs> or maybe I should ask someone next to you that, that knows you well, does that, do they need more patience? And mm, Not me, right? I don't need more patience. Oh, we all need more patience. I'm guessing we all could grow in this self-control and patience. Here we know the Spirit's moving, moving Peter to write these things for us. Supplement self-control with steadfastness. I think that's patience. This, really think about this. And how important this is for us as believers. When the world around us is going sideways and upside down with the truth, as we know the truth of God's word, the world rejects the truth of God's word and says that's not true. In in, in fact, calls believers, would, would call out believers in Jesus Christ for obeying God's word in their, they would never say sinners, but that's what they're saying about believers of God's word, that, that we're wrong for obeying the Bible, and they're right for rejecting it. That's upside down and backwards. So in a world that, like that, your convictions may be tried, may be challenged in the workplace, in your neighborhood, maybe in your own family. Uh, God forbid it comes to our church. I mean, we went through Jude, you know, seeing how the dangers of false teaching and how we need to be on guard, but it's possible that, that our conviction about the truth of God's Word could be challenged. What are we going to do then? You need to be steadfast. You might need, learn to be patient. That's your ability to stand under pressure, to stand under pressure. Now, while self-control helps you manage the pleasures of life, steadfastness or patience relates to the pressures of life. You ever think about it that way? Think about steadfastness helping you with the pressures. We have help with the temptations, with the Holy Spirit's help. We're to be learning self-control. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we're to be learning steadfastness so that we can deal with the pressures. Self-control for the pleasures, steadfastness or patience for the pressures of life. If you give in to the pleasure of life, you, you may find it hard to be disciplined enough to handle the pressures of life, too. Now think about that. If you lack self-control, when the heat is on your faith and the spotlight is on you to stand or fall for the truth, you may fall rather than stand. So if you give in to the pleasures of life, you may, may not be disciplined enough to handle the pressures of life. And so uh, Peter challenges us to develop patience. Develop patience in your life so you can handle the problems that you face.
but you must also face the problem so that you can develop patience. You know, patience doesn't come without the problems, does it? I mean, without problems, you don't need patience. Without challenges, you don't need patience. So when the problems come, uh, think about them biblically. God is actually doing something in everything. We don't have to say, I hope God is, God is doing something with this. We can instead say, I know God is doing something with this. I don't know what, but I know he's doing something with this. And so if he's not taking me out of this situation, I, I still need to keep learning patience and keep obeying and keep being steadfast. And while you're learning self-control and steadfastness, you will be greatly helped also, as Peter points us to next, by also supplementing in godliness. Godliness. Is it your desire to be godly? I trust it is, that you want to be godly, that you want your life to honor God. And that includes the, the hidden areas of your life, like your thought life and your your private actions. A godly person makes decisions based on what God would have you do. Notice I didn't say you make decisions based on what God would do. That was pretty popular for a long time, those WWJD bracelets and shirts, what would Jesus do? You know, it's actually the wrong question. The right question is, what would Jesus want me to do? Want me to do? What would God want you to do? A godly person thinks that way about all kinds of about everything. What would God want me to do in this situation? That's a challenge sometimes, isn't it? Because the flesh likes to take over and kind of overrules that desire that we have to honor God. And we end up lacking self-control or patience or steadfastness. The idea here, a godly person thinks and says what God would want him to think and say. This is really just taking time to think about what God would have you do when it comes to your daily decisions. How do you, how do you, get, that, how do you get that knowledge, that wisdom for doing that, for, for thinking about how God would want you to respond? You know how to get that, don't you? It's in the Word. That's why we go back to the Bible, right? It's reading the Bible. It's being a student of the Word, a reader, a lifelong reader of the Word. And then the next, you're to supplement godliness with brotherly affection. Do you see the process here? It's pretty interesting. What comes after all these things? Brotherly affection. If you wish to be godly, you can't ignore this. Brotherly affection can be described as a sincere love for your fellow believers. A, and I say sincere love for your fellow believers. You may have a hard time liking some of your fellow believers because they're not very likable. You may have a hard time seeing them as people who are lovable because they're not very lovable. Guess what? you don't get a pass. When you bump into believers who are hard to like and hard to love, there's an opportunity for you to grow in Christ's likeness and love them in spite of themselves. A lot like God does toward you. Don't ever forget that. You were not lovable when Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I was not lovable. Before, before I could 
call on God. He, he did what I could not do. He died in my place for my sins. And then he drew me to himself. And what joy is mine that he didn't wait for me to be lovable. And what joy can be yours when you realize that for yourself. So, supplement godliness with brotherly affection. If you want to be godly, you've got to, you've got to do this. Uh, you can see what Peter means. If uh, you, you could turn back, if you want to, to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Keep your finger here in 2 Peter. But 1 Peter chapter 1 <clears throat> and verse 22 Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. There are no qualifiers there about the actions of other people. Our responsibility as believers in Jesus Christ, who, has, who have been loved by God in spite of ourselves, is to love our brothers and sisters in Christ with a sincere brotherly love. We ought to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You know what that is? It's a, it's a desire to love someone the way God loves you without expecting anything in return. That's a pure heart. That's a deep love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what God calls us to in the church as people of God's church. You're, you're the church. That's what God is calling us to. And one thing that means is that it will take a, uh, think of it this way, it'll take a lot to offend you. It should take a lot to offend you. It's easy to be offended. I might be the best. Being offended. I mean, it's easy, you, especially when Carolyn says something that I don't like. Can you believe that? She would ever do that? Why would she do that? So, I mean, we're right, two people. You get two people in a room, you're going to have different opinions, different ways of seeing things, different desires, different, right? Different passions. Oh, it's so easy for us to be offended. But one thing this ought to mean for us is that we, we are quick to not take an offense. Thinking the best of others. And this is a love you choose to have. Choose to have. It goes back to that person that's unlovable and unkind and hard to be, hard to, hard to love. You choose to love. That's what God's talking about. God's word teaches us. This is not based on feelings. And with this brotherly affection, you're also to supplement. Look at, look at what's next. It says love. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about love. We are. But, but the love that we saw described a moment ago was called brotherly affection, so we know we're talking about believers. What's next is love toward all people, people who are not believers. And, and you, you may hate sin, and I think there's, there's something we can hate uh, in a godly way. We can hate sin. And what sin does to people. We can hate what sin does, the results of sin. But you had better not hate people who need Jesus. We need to love people. You better not hate people. You're to love them enough to care about their eternal destiny. 
wow, what a, what a challenge here, right? What a, I hate to call it a list because we tend to put it in a list, but it's really a process. What an incredible process. By God's design, these build one on the other and really keep cycling back through our whole lifetime. Now, that was verses 5 through 7, the resources. Before that, we saw our responsibility. So responsibility, resources. Next, you're going to see the reasons for, your, for growing your faith. Reasons for growing your faith. The first reason for supplementing, growing your faith with these spiritual graces is seen in verse 8. Verse 8. Look at verse 8 again. For if these qualities, that's why I called them qualities earlier, spiritual graces, these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first, Peter is saying that if you have these seven qualities, these seven spiritual graces increasing and increasing and increasing in your life, that your spiritual life will be effective and productive. He just said, do these so you won't be ineffective and unproductive. But do these things, add these things, supplement your faith with these things, and you can be assured that your spiritual life will be effective and productive for the cause of Christ. For those around you, as they observe your life, see you change, submit your life to Christ, and hear your witness, and watch your work and hear your speech and conduct, watch your conduct. I don't think any believer wants to be ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But for many believers, sadly, far too many believers, this is true because they aren't intentional with their spiritual lives. Let it not be you. I grieve when I see believers who are spiritually weak, Spiritually ineffective. People who've been believers for years and years and years who've had a lot of chronological time to grow in the Lord and, and they aren't growing. It's, it's been me and it could easily be me. It could easily be you. This is sadly true of a lot of believers because they aren't intentional about their spiritual lives. They go to church when they feel like it. They read their Bible when they feel like it. They pray when they feel like it. And that tends to be the extent of their spiritual lives. You, you, get the, you see the thread there in those? In the, and that's true. It, I've been there and you may, have, you may be able to identify with that too, that you did those things when you felt like it or when you felt some need But if you will daily devote yourself to becoming more like Christ, whether you feel like it or not, you will have an impact for the cause of Christ. You'll have an impact on each other in God's church. You'll have an impact on your family if you have people in your household. You'll have an impact on your coworkers and on your neighbors, people that you do business with. You'll have an impact for God's glory. The second reason for adding these qualities, these spiritual graces to your faith, is found in verses 9 and 10. Look at, the, look at those verses again. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten 
that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So, so get this, make every effort to make these spiritual qualities real in your life so that you won't become spiritually nearsighted. If you're nearsighted as a believer, you can only see yourself. God doesn't want you to stop at, at your own door. If you're spiritually nearsighted, you can only see yourself. You can only see your own problems or you can only see your own church. And you may have no vision for the lost all around you. And you may not be able to see the people around you who need to hear the gospel, who need, who need you to step into their lives and, and to help them with some need that they have and to love them because God loves you in spite of yourself. And in verses 9 and 10, Peter is also making the point that if you f- fail to supplement your faith with these spiritual qualities, you're going to be in danger of forgetting you're saved. You may come to doubt your salvation. And I've known believers like this who are always asking, I, I'm just not sure. And I, and I think often it goes back to this. Are you, are you pursuing growth in Christ? If you're spiritually nearsighted because you lack these spiritual qualities, you could stumble, you could fall. Peter says you could forget you were cleansed from your former sins. You could forget you've been forgiven of your former sins. Can you, can you see how, if you were here for our studies in Jude, can you see how this relates to our study in Jude and the warning there against the danger of unbelief and false teaching? Unbelief and false teaching will lead you away from confidence, confidence in the Lord, assurance of your salvation if you've given your life to Christ. But if you will supplement and grow your faith with these spiritual qualities, you will gain an assurance of your salvation that you didn't create. It's an assurance of your salvation that God works in you. You will know that your faith is real. I can look at specific events in my life that have been especially trying, where on the other side I came out with a stronger faith, and I am thankful for those problems, even though I would never ask God to repeat them because they proved my faith was at least growing. And I was becoming more, more like Christ, becoming, uh, becoming deeper in my faith. Note also that Peter says here in verse 10 that the person who's adding these spiritual qualities to his faith is confirming in his own heart that God has chosen him. How special is that? Think of that. Look at verse 10 again. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Can you see God's grace here? Can you see God's grace in this ongoing spiritual growth of a believer who is supplementing these spiritual qualities in their walk with Christ? If this is true of you, you will know you are secure in Christ. You will know in your heart that God has called and chosen you to be his forgiven child. Paul wrote this to, Th- to the Thessalonians. Uh, he wrote these kind of a very similar thing. Listen to these 
verses. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. How did you come to Christ? God, God drew you to himself and he gave you an opportunity to hear the truth of the word. And you believed. Verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? The confidence that you're God's, that he called you, that he chose you, he made you his own forgiven child. And now look at verse 11 for the third reason for supplementing these spiritual qualities into your walk with Christ. Verse 11, again, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Being strong in your faith and assured of your calling by God means that you will be confident of your entrance into heaven. And I don't simply mean that you'll be confident that you're going to get to heaven. It's not just your arrival into heaven that Peter has in mind here, but a rich and abundant arrival, a glorious, a splendid arrival, a triumphal arrival. Every believer, every believer in Jesus is going to arrive in heaven. Note I didn't say every Christian, because the world will use the label Christian to to label a lot of people, and some people will call themselves Christians, and they don't have any idea what it means to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. But I'll say this, every believer in Jesus who surrendered their life to Christ, who believed in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for the forgiveness of their sins and their eternal salvation will be in heaven. Some believers will be saved and arrive in heaven but only as through fire. According to 1 Corinthians 3.15, as if escaping a burning building. Those, those believers, sometimes we know them, they're, they're hot and cold in their spirituality. They're, the, they're often the ones who go to church when they feel like it, or they read their Bible when they feel like it, or they pray when they feel like it. But a, a growing believer who is supplementing their spiritual life with these spiritual qualities seen here can look forward to a victorious arrival in heaven. Being chosen by God, forgiven by God, and saved by God through the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely no license to coast in your spiritual life, in your Christian life. And it's much to your good and for your safety this side of heaven when you pursue spiritual growth in your faith in Christ. We went through Jude together. We saw the challenge, the, the difficulty, how to identify false teachers and their false teaching and how to guard your life. Second Peter is helpful here, isn't it, to help us learn how to build up and grow, to do our part in growing our spiritual lives as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And for this, we have verse 11 again. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise God. Wonderful truths 
from God's word.